Okay, so I was writing my sermon, and I'm going through the life of Abraham, and it's pretty much Abraham and his family. And then I started writing, and I was like, why am I talking about this? Like, what is the point of talking about this? It's a passion in my heart, but what is it that I want them to embark on? And what is it that I want you guys to get out of? And really, the Old Testament has a really negative connotation, or there's always like a negative paradigm of like, oh, it's just old and boring. But tonight, like, I hope to switch that from old and boring to powerful and true. Because people our age, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, <laughs> we have become very intellectual. I mean, you can't even get a college degree without taking either a critical thinking class or a critical writing class. And what that does is it creates a, a dynamic between somebody who believes strongly in something and somebody who doesn't to the person that doesn't to ask some really in-depth questions about why this person believes what they believe. And I felt like with my identity in God, with um, how God works in his spirit. I felt like I had a, a good grasp on that, but the foundation of the word I felt like was a little rocky and I didn't quite have a grip on that. So I just started over and I started in Genesis and I was like, God, like, I just want to get a foundation because there's been too many times where somebody's come to me with some question. and I'm just like, I don't know. So then I have to call somebody that's more knowledgeable. And I just didn't want to have that any longer. I wanted to get a foundation a profound foundation to get that wisdom in me so that I could then, for the intellectuals, bring them in as well. So God showed me some really cool stuff while reading Genesis and some cool stuff that I just want to show you. So starting off with Abraham. Now, he's probably the first one in the Bible that I've really like just journeyed through his whole life and just, the guy's awesome. So this is what happens. He starts off in his native land and God calls him to go into the land of Canaan. So he takes his wife, he takes his nephew Lot, and those three are really the ones I'm going to be focusing on tonight. Those three, all his possessions, and he goes into the land of Canaan and he sets up shop, he builds an altar, he's talking to God, and everything's good. Well, Later on, what happens is famine breaks out in the land. So him and his wife, Sarah, they dip out to Africa. They're like, we're out of here. We're going to Egypt. <laughs> so they go to Egypt and, well, let's see what happens. So we're going to read um, out of Genesis, uh, starting with 10. Hopefully this comes up. Um, it says, now there was famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw Sarah was, very, was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his place. He treated Abraham well for her sake and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflict, inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household became his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham 
What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her as my wife. You know, Abraham at that point is probably, (laughs) sorry, I don't know. Uh, Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. The Pharaoh gave orders to Abraham and his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So a couple things here that really stood out to me is one, We are reading in the Old Testament, and we need to understand just the context of what this is uh, saying. And I don't want to, like, embark fear over you guys, because this was pre-Jesus. And when Jesus came and he spilled the blood, it covered over us. So in Ephesians 1-4, it says, God looks at us holy and without fault. So God inflicting serious disease on somebody would not happen today. And I really just wanted to let that out so that there's no fear over the crowd. Second of all, Sarah, that she, when Abraham told her, hey, I'm just going to tell people you're my sister, which was kind of right because she was kind of his half-sister, but he left out the truth. But a half-lie is still a lie. If you're withholding truth from somebody, that is still a lie. And Sarah was just like, we don't see any opposition from her. She was just like, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. That looks like a good idea. And in Ephesians, it also says, husbands, or sorry, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, I know this is probably one of the top 10 scriptures used for manipulation. But honestly, when I read wives submit to your husband, really, that's a call on me. Because it's really a call for me to step up as a leader and to me to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. And I've realized when I do that and I'm stepping in that, the submission comes. I don't have to throw any scriptures her way of what she needs to do because when I'm doing what I have to do, she's then doing what she has to do because I'm a suitable leader for that. And I'm loving her as Christ has loved the church. Now, with that said, sometimes I do have... uh, (laughs) I, I, do, I do say, babe, you need to zip and submit. <laughs> now, guess how often that works? Yeah, never, never. It, it's like a joke now, like, come on, babe, you gotta, she just laughs at me now whenever I say that. <laughs> but hear me, honestly, like, when I, when I say this, that God is never going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to lie. Now, Sarah should have said to Abraham, you know, Abraham, I love you and all, I really do. And I know in your head, logically, that this makes sense to lie so they'll spare your life, but I'm just not going to be able to do it. I'm sorry. This is not of Jesus and this is not of God. And that means I really don't want anything to do with it. Because honestly, you guys, and this is speaking to the women out there, God has given you guys a voice. And he's giving you guys discernment. And as we read in um, Proverbs 31, 10 and 11, it says, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband is full of confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Proverbs 31, 26 says, She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Now, in the one year 
We celebrate our one-year anniversary, my wife and I, July 14th. Let's go ahead and clap that one up. Okay, I'll receive that. I'll receive that one. Receive that one. Okay. Now, in the one year and a few weeks, there's been some tough situations where I had to make, and I said, babe, we're going to go down this, this route, and we're going to go this way, and she followed right behind me. But there's also times where we've dialogued, and from that dialogue, I got the revelation I needed to lead us in the right position, right situation and go down the right path. So I encourage you ladies, read Proverbs 31. It's great, especially if you're a wife or even inspiring to be one. It's going to help you get to where you want to go. All right, so how are we doing? Good, good. Okay. So later on in Genesis 16, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. He told him flat out, child's yours, you're going to have an heir. However, Abraham and Sarah started to get kind of up there in age. And they had been trying for a baby, didn't really happen. They got really impatient. So Sarah comes up with the bright idea. Hey, I have an idea. How about you sleep with the servant Hagar, conceive through her, and then the son will be the heir. Abraham's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. So let's see what happens. Next, so Genesis 16.4 says, He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her. So Hagar, the servant, began to despise Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, Sarah, this was your idea. I mean, like, what did you think? And Abraham going along with it, he's just as bad. But like, what did you think was going to happen? Now they have a household where Haggard, now she slept with Abraham. So she has now an emotional attachment towards this man. She has a soul tie towards him and a baby coming on the way. And Sarah's there and she's looking like, this just isn't going to work. So they're quarreling and they're going at it. And Hagar just ends up leaving and runs off to the desert. And, you know, Sarah's happy with that. Bye, gone, you know. (laughs) But what really made me want to like really share this story is Genesis 17, 20. And it says, as for Ishmael, who was the son from Abraham and Hagar, the son whose name was Ishmael. Okay. So I have heard you, I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into great nations. God had a promise that though this kid had a, a horrible drama and into which he didn't had no control over, God still promised him, I will make him into great nations and he will be the father of 12 rulers. Now, I don't know for many of you, I know for myself, when my conception was not planned. I had a lot of, I have a lot of honest talks with my dad and he pretty much told me, six Long Islands, nine months later, here you popped out. And throughout my whole life, I really, uh, insecurity kind of like ran rapid throughout my entire life. So 
it kind of left me really dormant and really left me lukewarm for, me, for way too many years. And with the idea of, well, I kind of was an accident. So mm, I have a cell phone, I have a job, I have a car, I'm in school. Well, this actually, I feel like I'm doing pr- pr- pretty well for somebody who was an accident, you know? But that is a bold-faced lie. Kyle said up here, and I couldn't have said it better, that Ishmael, me, you guys are God's masterpiece. We're the best idea that he ever had. And so I latch on to that truth, and John 14, 12 through 14 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This lets me know that whatever demographic my parents had, whether I was planned or whether you guys had some, maybe you guys had great parents or maybe it was a boyfriend, girlfriend situation that didn't work out. We're not locked into that. That does not determine my future. This says, if I believe believe in Jesus, I will do things greater than he does. So I have a choice. I could either attach on to the fact that, oh, I was, wasn't planned, I was an accident, or I could step into the fact that we are all going to do things greater than Christ have. And all that takes is for me to believe and step out in it, and I will see it come into fruition. Why? Because you, me, Ishmael, we are God's masterpiece and the greatest idea that he ever had. Oh, man, I just need to, woo! Man, I wish I had a trumpet right now. Oh, man, it just gives me so much hope when I, I, I read that, that it's not contingent on anything but my belief in Jesus. It's not about what Jesus did. It's not about anything like that, but just the name. Come on, you guys, come on. Oh, man, oh, man. Woo! Okay, so, mm. Hey, man, that, whoo! Man. Oh, that speaks right here. Okay. So you guys remember I mentioned Lot. Now, Lot is Abraham's nephew, and I like Lot. Lot and Abraham had a great relationship. Abraham was like, you know, that, that, that cool uncle, you know what I mean? When uh, Lot had got apprehended, there was these two cities that were uh, in a war, Lot got apprehended. Abraham came through and was like, nah, homie. Got his army together, got Lot out and said, you know, we, we, we here, you know? So he was that really just cool uncle and I, I love the dynamic of their relationship. So Lot is living in Sodom and two angels come and sin was, I mean, running wild throughout Sodom and Gomorrah. And the two angels said, hey, look, there's just too much sin going on here. We're going to go ahead and wipe out this, this whole city. Abraham and Lot tried to reason with them, didn't work. So he said, okay, how about you take my wife, my two daughters, and we go ahead and settle in this land over here. The angel said, okay, fine. That's good. Then the angel said, the only thing that I ask of you is that you don't look back. Don't look back. So next morning, the angels take Lot and his family down to the land that Lot had asked. Now, 
his wife, it says in Genesis 19.26, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I read chapters after this and I was like, wait, where is his wife? And I totally like just didn't get it. And so I just kind of like, oh, well, okay, I just don't get it. But I was like, where is she at? So then I did some further research and uh, this really happened. Like she really became a pillar of salt because she looked back. And I feel like that's kind of where we are today. Like, I just feel like this, this generation, we're so into looking back, like throwback, th- today's Thursday, throwback Thursday. Anybody has Instagram or Facebook, um, you know, hashtag TBT, everybody's posting up pictures of, you know, back, back in the days, maybe like, oh, these were the good days. This was when I was skinny, blonde, and had a Mustang. And... <laughs> I knew you'd laugh at that one. So, <laughs> but what it's doing, as I feel like, is people are vicariously living through those good days, and we have today for us, but maybe to get a dynamic of their lives actually working, they have to actually work for it, as maybe it was easier back then. So they just kind of live in the past. But today, it's like they're not attached to anything. And I feel like that's what's kind of like running rapid in our generation now. Don't get me wrong. There are very healthy ways to look back. Christ's life is one of them. It's where you pretty much take your past and where you are now and you see what happened to where I'm maybe operating in that now. Or what happened then that maybe caused a stronghold in me now so that God could really nurture your soul and nurture kind of the old you so you can actually start walking into wholeness. And maybe when you grew up, you didn't really have, there, there's a lot of things you weren't given that as an adult, you have a hard time for me just operating as an adult. So then it's like, all right, God, like I recognize these things. I wasn't given as, as a child. Now I can fully Uh, work with you so that now I could get these things. And what this does is it creates a renewing of the mind, which is Romans 12, 2. So looking back and vicariously living through it, that is what's harmful and that's not God. But when we look back as like, okay, I'm looking back to try to renew something so that I can now fully step into wholeness, that's really what God's called us to do in the context of looking back because we see whenever we look back, or especially when Lot's wife did it, she became a pillar of salt. And that's what happens when we vicariously live through it. We kind of just stay in one place and we're so dormant because we're so stuck into what it is, what, what our past was and how the good times were. Because honestly, every single solitary day, we have the ability to lay a brick down for the path that we want to go down to. God's given us desires. We have purpose. We have dreams. Every day we can at least lay down one brick that will get us closer to that journey. But if we're continually looking back and kind of living through that, we're not going to be able to get those desires and to fully live that purpose or actually to see those dreams fulfilled. And that's why this really stood out to me tonight. And I really wanted to share this because I wanted to get into a generation that is stepping into wholeness and stepping into who we really are and not locked into who we are in the past. Okay. We doing good? Okay. So Genesis 20, Abraham moves to Negriv and 
very same situation as when he came into Egypt. Goes into Negriv, tells Sarah, hey, look, God tell him you're my sister and hopefully I won't be killed. So what is Sarah? Oh, okay. Tells everybody, oh, that's my brother and everything. So the king that night, God wakes him up and says, hey, look, Sarah is taken. Don't touch her. If you touch her, bad things are going to happen. You know, the king's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought that this was his sister. I had no idea that this was his wife. He left the information out. Talks to Abraham. What does Abraham say? Oh, well, I just thought, I didn't think that there was anybody in here that feared God. I just thought that this town wasn't, uh, you know, lack of better words, Christian. But he said nobody would fear God in this town. So in his head, logically, it made sense for him to lie again. Now, I want to ask you guys, what is that area in your life that you don't trust God in? Because Abraham call, or God called Abraham to Negriv. And like I said, God's not going to call you anywhere where you're going to have to lie. So, but there's obviously a trust issue there for Abraham. So I just kind of want you guys to think like, what is one area in your life where you guys don't trust God? And that first thing that pops in your mind, that's probably it. Finances, future spouse, marriage, career. What is it? Because I know for me, oftentimes when it comes to praying for people, especially for healings, doubt and disbelief, comes into my mind and it hinders me then from moving forward uh, with praying somebody. In my, my mind, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, what if they don't get healed? Then it's going to be embarrassing or whatever. And all those thoughts kind of come into my mind, but I've, and recently I've really owned in on this and was like, all right, that's not the truth because I cannot heal anybody. The healing comes from Jesus. So when I have that doubt, I'm doubting myself, but really in the dynamic that it is, I'm just asking Jesus to heal this person. The healing comes from him, not me. I'm just a vessel, or like Eric said, I'm just the mouthpiece to use this in order to get healed. And like I said before, like God can be trusted and God makes promises to us that all we need to do is step into and believe. Now, from the outside look on certain situations, they're going to look impossible. They're going to look hard. They're going to look like, no, I just need to take this into my own hands. But really, when we put it in God's hands, the, the result is this crazy victory that we never even thought of. Now, in Genesis 22, 10 through 12, this is where, like I said, God promised Abraham a son, gave him, and then later on finally had that son Isaac. And a lot of you guys know this story, but in Genesis 22, 12, and this is what really brings it in a circle, it says, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on your boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
It finally clicked in Abraham's mind after the time coming into to Egypt, after the whole baby mama drama with Haggard, after the whole thing in, in the grave, like it finally clicked as like, I just need to trust God. And that was in a situation to where he's been wanting a son for so long. He wanted a son because even especially back in that context, you need like an heir to the throne. That was very high on the priority list back then. And he gave his only son. That was the time that he finally came through and trusted God. And reading this for the first time, you're like, what the heck is about to happen? Is he really about to kill his son? But no, then the angels come out. And that's what I'm saying. Like, but that's not anything that we can think of because God is all knowing and he knows the truth. He knows everything. And he knows that victory and his his intention for us is never to be dormant and is never to be sad and is never to be lonely. And sometimes God's going to put you in situations to where we're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust myself in this? and take matters into my own hands like Abraham did, and we see how that, happened, how that, that worked out. A lot of you guys know this story, but when Angie and I first got together, her parents, they weren't on board for me simply because I was black and she's white, if you guys don't know her. Um, and what we were doing was Angie was lying to her parents, eventually was just like, you know what, I'm not seeing him anymore, I'm done. So we, she was lying to them, and I was actually encouraging her to lie to them, like, no, keep this going, because I don't want them to cut off your smud bill, your electricity, stop paying rent. Like, I didn't want them to stop doing stuff, so I was like, go ahead and live in, 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 in that lie, for lack of better words. And then she talked to Waterbury, and Waterbury was like, you know what, if you're leaving a lie, your foundation is crap and you're pretty much laying your foundation on sand. So we didn't know what was gonna happen, but we knew that God honors when you walk in the truth. And we just trusted him and we told, and she came out and told her parents like, look, this is what's been going on. I'm sorry for lying. I've been seeing Eugene this whole time. And what happened? Exactly what we thought of the bills were cut off. They sent her all the bills and said, you're on your own. Now, looking at the situation, you would think, Oh, look, well, where was God in all this? You know, like what you guys thought was going to happen, happened. Well, what it did was it created a situation to where now her parents were really able to look at her as an adult. And so months on months went on and her mom was finally like, hey, let me go ahead and meet this Eugene guy. Two months later, her dad, let me meet this Eugene guy. And this is in 2010. The next year, 2011, and here's a big kicker. The family wasn't able to go to the family reunion out in Pittsburgh. So what happens? Her dad tells me and Ange to go and represent the family. Hello, a black guy to go and represent the family. We didn't think of that. We're not, I'm not all knowing. We're not all all knowing. Like that was not what I expected. When we come into the uh, marriage, I mean, her dad's paying for it paying for her daughter to marry a black guy, somebody who he was totally adamant about at first. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you'd never know how God's going to work the situation out. But just trust that his, 
plan for you is to never be miserable. It's to never be sad. It's, that's not his plan at all. Trust him and you will see the, the miraculous. And just like Genesis 25, uh, 21. Now you remember what I said about uh, Ishmael. God made that promise that I will make him into great nations and he will be the father of 12 rulers. Uh, sorry, 25:13. Now these are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order, order of their births. A lot of words. Uh, I'm, this is butcher. So I'm not even going to go there. We're just going to skip down to 16. Now, mind you, in 12 was the promise. Now we see in 25, these were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. God made that promise, and we see he fulfilled it, and we see the 12 rulers. I mean, oh man, it's just like God really came through when he said we was. The situation looked terrible. Like I said, all that baby mama drama stuff, but it came out to where now Ishmael was able to birth 12 rulers. And to me, like that was just so huge. And even his, Abraham's son, Isaac, 25, 21 says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was barren, which means she couldn't give birth. So very similar to Sarah's situation. Now said, then the Lord answered the prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Now I'm thinking Isaac was like, oh man, I saw what my dad went through when, you know, his, when, when my mom was barren, I don't want to go through all that at all. Rebecca, we're going to have to pray this off because I'm not going through that. I'm not going through that at all. So he prayed it and then see what happens. Then all of a sudden she became pregnant. I mean, it's just, God can't be trusted. God promised and he made it happen. And the Bible is full of promises for you guys' life. All they take is for us to come in agreement with it and to just step out in it and we'll see him work. And this is just the last thing that I want to leave you guys with is that when we trust in God is when we see him move. Thank you guys for your time. You guys are awesome.